1: Yeah.
2: Hello, and welcome to another edition of the USC Triple Double Podcast. I'm your host, Shotgun Spratling, along with my co-host. The man, the myth, the legend, Mr. Triple-Double himself, Connor Morissette. Count those consonants in the his last name. Connor, how are we doing today? I'm doing well, Shotgun. You're too kind. Thank you for a great <laughs> intro. For our first time listeners, the USC Triple Double Podcast, part of the Peristyle Podcast family of shows. You know, we got the recruiting stuff with Gerard and Chris, the two star composite. We got the Peristyle Podcast. We got special guests all the time. We've got this podcast for basketball, and we've got the Dado Download, which will be coming starting back up this week as well as we get ready for baseball season as well. Me and Jack Smith will be doing that one. But this is is a basketball podcast. we got to talk about the basketball teams. It's been an up-and-down road if you consider the men and the women this season for USC. But it's a big week for the women. They just come off a split. They're struggling a little bit right now. And it's a really critical juncture of the season. So we're going to actually have on... USC head coach Lindsey Gottlieb to talk about where the women of Troy are at right now. The men coming off a loss to UCLA. We'll talk about that as well. But, Connor, let's jump in to the women's side because we're going to have Lindsey Gottlieb on a little bit later. Let's jump into this last week of action. Now they're coming off. Our last show, they're coming off of a, a road trip that just did not go the way they wanted to. They get blown out by Utah, and then they played pretty well against Colorado but couldn't finish that game off on the road against a top-five team. So back-to-back losses for the first time. And we wonder, how is this team going to respond? And they come out looking like, okay, you know, like they had a great week of practice. They were really focused against Washington State. They start the game on a 10-0 run. They dominate the first half of that game. And then after that, not so much the rest of the weekend. Now, USC does win against Washington State 70 62. They do then play on Washington on Sunday. They lose that game 62 59. They showed some fight late. There were some interesting things that kind of happened. <laughs> they had three threes in the last 30 seconds to try to pull in within a couple points in that one but couldn't find a way to get the win in that one because of a very sluggish start. Where do we want to start looking at the Women of Troy because it was kind of a, it was a very roller coaster week uh, for them this this week.
0: I start looking at the offense and you mentioned how against Washington State USC came out on fire. It was 10 nothing in the blink of an eye at the end of the first quarter, 21-12. Juju Watkins had 9 points. and At half they were up by a decent margin and then in the second half it got a little tighter. And that sort of bled into the Washington game where USC struggled to score the basketball and uh, was out-rebounded in that second one. So, yeah, they bounced back early against Washington State. But I look at the offense right now. Overall, these last four games, USC is under 40% in all of them. And so something's a little bit off with their offense right now. Even though against Washington State, they did get off to that great start and had a really great first half. But in the final six quarters of action on this most recent um, couple home games, The offense just wasn't there. And I think when we talk to Lindsey Gottlieb, I'm excited to ask her what her plan is to get this offense jump-started and turn this thing around.
2: Now, in that Washington State game, USC wins 70-62. Juju Watkins does score 29 points. McKenzie Forbes does score 22 points. However, both of them had inefficient performances in that game. Juju was 10 of 27 in the game. McKenzie Forbes was 8 of 18. You You would like to see when you get... A 20-point game, you want to be at 50% or so that shows, you know, an effective field goal percentage there. And then no one else scored, really, in that game. You know, Taylor Bigby had five and five rebounds, contributing a little bit here and there. Caitlin Davis, I thought, had a pretty good game coming off the bench. She had six points on three or five shooting, seven rebounds as well. But just not getting that consistent third score isn't something we've talked about throughout the season. Which isn't as big of a deal when they're being efficient, because then hey, you get two points here, four points here, six points from the rest of the bench. You can you can be pretty smooth with that. But when you're shooting 36%, because Juju and McKinsey four are shooting, you know, 45 shots in this game, 45 of your 69 shots, and they're shooting at 35 to 40 percent, that's just not going to get it done consistently. And I think that's what we saw. In that Washington game, because in that Washington state game, like I said, Juju scores 29, McKenzie Ford scores 22. Um, Tara Wallach from Washington State had 21. USC held uh, Washington State's leading scorer, Bella um, Mericot- Mercatete, to seven points and seven rebounds. She had some foul trouble. So USC played pretty good defensively, especially in the first half. Didn't so much the second half, but were able to carry that because of what they did in the first half. Then against Washington, it was the exact opposite. You know, the, the first half, they just did not do enough. They looked pretty bad. They were sluggish. Um, and they were inefficient once again. So in the first half, you know, Washington gets out to a 34-23 lead at the half with Juju Watkins having nine points on four of 15 shooting. Nine points on 15 shot attempts, obviously not good. McKenzie Forbes, one of five in the first half on, you know, and only had three points. Now for the game, Juju finishes with 19. Kayla Padilla comes on super strong in the second half. You know, she knocks down 5 of her 6 three-pointers in the second half and finishes with a uh, with a team high 20 points. But on the other side, Lauren Schwartz had 21 points for Washington and Washington slow attack, less shots. You know, they only shot 50 shots in this game, but they were efficient with their shooting. They shot 46% from the field and they took advantage of USC in this game you know outside of Caleb Adia stepping up in that and then the problem was McKenzie Forbes kind of disappeared it's been a two player show for a lot of the season and when somebody else steps up you would like to see, you know, Batman and Robin doing their job as well. And we've talked about the inefficiencies of Juju recently, but if someone else steps up that takes the pressure off of her to do that as well. So maybe that's a positive sign for Kayla Padilla getting that. I don't know how you kind of look at, you know, the, the third score aspect of the offense right now.
0: I totally agree with what you're saying there, unless it's been a, below average opponent we really haven't seen a third player have like a dominant offensive game in a, in a big game so far and I, I just look at Ray Marshall right now I think she's averaging just under three points a game in the last four and I know she's known for rebounding and defense but she was a McDonald's All-American a highly rated recruit she's someone who I think you can expect a little bit more from on offense and right now we're not even really talking about her it's Juju of course Mackenzie Forbes and then Kayla Padilla who's coming on strong but I think coming into this season Rhea Marshall was someone who I, I think we both thought Shotgun would give USC a little bit more on offense. And I know she was battling an illness. So if she's still feeling the effects from that and there's something she's working through that I don't know about, then take this with a grain of salt. But I think now it's been a few weeks since she did miss some games. And uh, I, I imagine she's back to 100%. So we'll talk to Coach Gottlieb about that coming up. I think rebounding tells the story too, Shotgun. USC, they didn't shoot very well on that Washington State game, but. They had 16 offensive rebounds compared to two for Washington state. And it was kind of like what we saw from the men when UCLA didn't shoot really well, but they got so many offensive rebounds and second chance points. They were able to beat USC by 15. That's a little bit what happened on the women's side against Washington state. And then the next game against Washington, it totally flips and a team not really known for their rebounding prowess just obliterates USC on the boards. in that one, it was 39 to 24 the rebounding edge for Washington and how how do you overcome that you you shoot better of course but when you don't shoot as well and you're not rebounding you're just not going to win games and that's what we saw against the Huskies and now Stanford USC plays them on the road number four team in the country one of the best rebounding teams in the country it's not really a good time to be having some of these rebounding issues so that's going to be a big story heading into uh, Stanford on Friday when when USC plays them the rebounding it has to get fixed
2: yeah, they did not have Clarissa Okumwafu for the the Washington game, so you know a little bit of rebounding, uh, having her back would definitely help in that aspect. But when you get out rebounded by fifteen, you're in trouble, and you know a big part of that they were even. Washington and USC had nine offensive rebounds, so they're even there. It was all the defense rebounds, all the shots that USC was missing. And Washington puts a little bit of pressure on you because they take a lot of time with their shots. They really work the shot clock and they're good defensively. So, you know, USC, their best offense is when they get out in transition. Juju is so electric in transition with her euro steps and everything else. She's just you can't defend her in the in the fast break situation. And USC had only five fast break points. So they shut that down because, one, they're making shots, but then they get back on defense really well. So USC's everything's in the half court. They make you work for it. And if you take a quick shot, now you feel like – You not only lost one possession, but you kind of lost like one and a half possession because now you're going to have to go on defense for 20, 25 seconds at minimum. They're not going to jack up something quick. So they're a team that really tests you in that way. And USC really failed that test. So that's a learning, learning, something to learn from there because Stanford will do the same thing. You know, they'll be able to run the clock down at times if they want to. Um, And so they're a team that plays really good defense and, and does the same. They're the, I think they have the second best. Points per game in in the Pac 12 uh, after Washington. So I think it's another challenge for them. And then when you have Cameron Brink down low, you know, she's going to really challenge you on both ends of the court. Um, But for USC, I think it's getting back to attacking and sharing the ball more. You know, there's been a lot of, you know, they run a lot of NBA type sets. Lindsay's, um, you know, her background, coaching with the Cavaliers and whatnot. You, you see a lot of the Iverson cuts, you know, different things like that. Sets where, hey, let's get Juju the ball. But with Juju, the way she's been struggling recently, shooting in the mid-range and shooting the three-pointers, I think you got to get to a little bit more ball movement, a little more motion in the offense to try to attack a little bit more and set up because when they share the ball, they're knocking down shots. Like Caleb Adia, you get her an open look. Like right now, it's it's going down about 80% of the time. Um, and Taylor Bigby's knocking down some shots as well. You know, McKenzie Forbes can knock down shots. So they have players that can knock down threes, and they have a on the on the season, they have a good three-point shooting percentage, but they need to create a little bit more for each other, I think. I, I think that's one of the areas where I, I think that their their offense has become a little bit stagnant recently, where you know, both the those games against Washington State and uh Washington, they had 13 assists on 25 uh. Field goals in the first first game and on twenty three in the second game. You know if they get that up to eighteen, they're sharing the ball a little bit more. That means there's more open looks, more than likely. Uh, so I, I think that's one of the keys for this offense. I
0: think going forward as well. I thought Washington's game plan was awesome, and you talked about it right there. But you look at the turnover numbers. Washington had twenty two, and USC only had eleven. So the rebounding numbers sort of balance that out. Excuse me, but when you see that, you think, okay, if Washington's gonna have double the amount of turnovers as USC. USC's probably gonna win that game. But how Washington plays, like a lot of those were shot clock violations. So it's a turnover, but that doesn't allow you to get out and transition really quick like a steel would. And I feel like Washington, a shot clock violation for them wasn't as big of a negative as it would be for a lot of teams because they would get back on defense and that just killed a lot of clock. And that's why the game was was slow and low scoring. And I just thought that was a really good blueprint for beating a team like USC. Like you said, who likes to get out in transition. And I'm going to be interested to see how like a Cal or some of these other teams who might not be as talented as USC down the line plays them because I think that sort of provided a little bit of a blueprint for how to beat them. If you really slow it down, play good defense, and it's easier said than done, but be efficient on offense, That's that's the recipe for success and slowing USC down. They have to learn to overcome that.
2: Yeah, and 22 turnovers really kept USC in the game. But like you said, not a lot of live ball turnovers where USC could get out in transition. Like we said, only five fast break points, 17 turnovers. So that's your shot clock violations. That's, you know, those type of, uh, you know, you're stepping over the line on the free throw type of thing, um, you know, rather than someone stepping out of bounds or someone handing the ball over to the other team. So that's that's a number you don't see very often, you know, 17 violations in a game. So that number definitely stands out there. But let's jump into our triple-double for the women, uh, and then we'll come back to the men, look at their, their single game against UCLA. What were your three positives coming out of this week?
0: Well, I've been critical of the rebounding, but against Washington State, the 16 to 2 offensive rebounding advantage. I know the Washington State big was in foul trouble, but still the fact that USC was so hungry on the offensive glass and got some second chance opportunities in that game, I thought that was a, a really big part of that win and just the overall edge 43 to 28, 16 to 2 offensive rebound advantage. Like I said, just that that was impressive. When, when you out-rebound a team like that, that just shows that you are in the game that day, and you wanted, and the desire, and the passion, and I, I was really impressed with that. Kayla Padilla against Washington. I know USC ended up losing the game, of course, but six for nine from three in that game, and from the field they were all threes. Twenty points. She she kept USC in the game, especially early in that third quarter when she started making shots, and then at the end of the game, her final three gets it to within one point. And I didn't really like how the officials affected the end of that game. I, I felt like USC deserved to have a little bit more time on the clock at the end for that buzzer beater, probably wouldn't have mattered in the grand scheme of things. But I don't know if you remember shotgun, uh, Padilla makes the shot and then Washington inbounds the ball. But for whatever reason, they were either given a timeout or or something happened. And it it looked like that cost like at least a second and a half that maybe USC could have had to try to tie the game at the end. So those are my two, but I think overall there's nothing really like that jumps out from positive perspective uh, for these last two games. I think USC right now they're sort of going through it and they're, they're going through some growing pains. I mean, I, I got to start
2: with the very beginning of the week. I thought it was a strong start on both ends. After that rough road trip, I liked the way they came back that first half. They, they held uh, Washington State to 33% shooting. And Juju Watkins looked like the Juju Watkins of the first nine games of the season. She was efficient, seven for 15. She had 21 points. I'm already looking up, all right. And how many number 30, how many 30-point games is this? It, you know she's got 21 at the half, does she go on a run in the second half? How's this kind of you know what point total she got to get to to start setting some records? And that fell through in the second half. So that I'll get to that in a, in a minute on my negative side. But so that one, I you know, I, I like the way they bounced back from the road trip and showed a, a strong start. Now, they got to continue it, obviously. Um, and then you mentioned Kayla Padilla. she was just cooking in that second half. Uh, you'd like to see that. I've mentioned, I think I mentioned last week, I think it was last week or maybe two weeks ago that you know, I want to see her a little bit more aggressive and and taking some more shots instead of just playing point guard and just trying to be the one that sets everything up um, because, she is a weapon, and you know, obviously, to be able to lead the Ivy, lead any conference in scoring, you know how to put the ball in the basket, and to do that, uh, she shows what she could do for USC, being that three point. And you saw Lindsay running some sets for her at the end of that game to get her open, rather than Mackenzie Forbes or Juju Watkins, because she had the hot hand, and you know, really feeding it. So I always like feeding the hot hand in a game, uh, and then I, I thought Ray Marshall the way she started the Washington game she was she started three of three in that game. She finished with eleven rebounds, but it looked like she had more energy. She was attacking a little bit more and trusting herself. And then she had one bad air ball and it kind of went all downhill from there. So I don't know if 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 that's something is just a confidence thing that they gotta work her back up because she's still averaging about ten points a game. And if you get eight to twelve points a game from her, plus what you're gonna get from McKenzie, plus what you're gonna get from Juju, and then you add. And eight to twelve from from Kayla Padilla. If you get her being a little bit more aggressive, I, that's a recipe to win pretty much every game to me. Um, and that takes some of the load off of Juju. And that, I think that's a, another potential recipe for success. But they got to get Raya having a little bit more confidence because uh, she's hesitant to shoot her outside jumper right now. And I don't know if she just feels like she doesn't quite have the same explosiveness that she normally does. She's not attacking with the same uh, gusto, I guess, as, as we saw earlier in the season. So but I did think that she started off pretty strong in that game. She started three of three. I think she finished three of eight. So I think she missed her f- final five, but bits and pieces. We're taking bits of pieces after, you know, off a week where it, it wasn't as, as strong of a showing for for the women of Troy. What about on the negative side? What do you got for your two negatives in the triple double?
0: I flipped the chuck and so I don't know if you caught it. I gave two positives. Here come three quick negatives. Four <laughs> straight games under 40% from the field for USC. They're one in three in those games. It's just obvious. When you don't shoot really well, it's tough to win games in the Pac-12, so they got to get back over that 40% number. Juju's last six games from three, she's 7 of 31 for 18%. We talk a lot about her fatigue and just her usage, and I think that number really shows that she is a little bit tired right now. I thought in the second half of that Washington game, she – had some two-point jumpers that she usually hits, just front-rimmed them. I think she is dealing with some fatigue. And then the last thing, you mentioned Ray Marshall's start. I guess I'll talk about her finish where she was zero five, 5 like you talked about. But I said earlier she's averaging 2.75 points per game in the, in, the, in the last four. I just want to see a little bit more from her on offense. She's doing well rebounding the ball, doing well defensively. I felt like when the Washington State backup big came in, though, she outplayed Ray Marshall for like a five-minute stretch where she attacked – it, it was kind of like the opposite of what you expected. Rhea attacked her on the offensive end, and that might have been the air ball, or, or it was just a miss. And then on the other side, the the backup big for Washington State sort of went at Ray and had a couple of, of buckets where you'd like that, you'd like to see that flipped. If uh, you know a backup comes in, a, a big Ray, your starting backup, you, you'd, you'd want to see her sort of go at the big, and, th- and that didn't happen. But that's nitpicking a little bit, and I'm excited to see how she bounces back this week. Uh, my
2: negatives, I, I said that it did not continue that strong start, so I kind of bookended you know, my positive negatives there, particularly on the defensive end. Wazoo outscored USC 37-27 in the second half. Uh, Washington outscored USC 34-23 in the first half of that game, so double-digit deficits in you know back-to-back halves for USC, and that was because... Washington State shot 57%. Washington shot 54% in the second half and the first half uh, of those two games. So uh, Washington State shot 60% in the fourth quarter. USC only shot 28% in the second half. So, you know, and, and my second negative was they were lifeless in the first half against Washington. Lindsey Golly didn't have a timeout at the very end of that game to advance the ball because she burned them trying to get them to to wake up in that first half. And I can, you can't fault her for that because you can't expect it to be a one possession game at the end of the, at the end when you're struggling so much in the first half and you're down by double digits you got to turn things around then so you know they were just lifeless in that first half and if you listen to Lindsay Gottlieb's uh, halftime interview she was not happy with the team and what she said after the game she said there weren't any halftime adjustments to our pregame plan it was there were curse words, there were wake up type of things said to the team rather than, hey, we need to make some big adjustments. You know, they made some minor stuff, but she said it was more the the mindset and the emotion, the energy level, the intensity that you know usc wasn't playing with. And she gave a lot of credit to Washington for what they were playing with, and they were, you know, really doing well to to uh take care of their game plan, as we mentioned before. Let's move over to the men's side though. USC plays the crosstown showdown. Great atmosphere. You have people lined up at 7 a.m. for a 5 p.m. game. Unfortunately, there wasn't much to watch for them. If they were USC fans, after about the, what, 12-minute mark of the first half, uh, you know, 12 minutes into the game, I think it was, USC went on a 10-0 run and looking like, hey, this looks like a little bit different team. They got boogie back. They got a little bit more depth. Hey, maybe they can start playing a little bit better. Instead, UCLA finishes the half. They go on a 22-2 run. USC does get the final basket of the half to make it 22 to four to finish out that 22 to two. When you lose, when you give up a 20, a negative 20 run, you're not going to win many games. This is actually the same thing that happened to UCLA last year when USC was down double digits at home against the Galen center. And then UCLA's offense just disappeared for like 14 minutes of the game. And USC was able to, to win by double digits in that game. We didn't see a a dramatic comeback from USC and didn't really expect one after the first couple minutes of the second half when it looked like it was the same old stuff. What stood out to you about the game? Let's just jump right into our our triple-double there.
0: Sure. I mean, just overall, what stood out to me about the game, and then I'll just get into it really quick. Just USC started a a big lineup and then they got out rebounded by a pretty significant margin. So that was my my overall takeaway. But I'll start with the positives. Not a ton. Oziah Sellers, three for three, (laughs) 10 points if boogie isn't a hundred percent and it's pretty obvious he's not i i hope like maybe this week he he can kind of get back to what we're used to seeing from him he started well but then didn't make a shot in the second half if he's not his, himself we've seen it this stretch like usc is just so inconsistent on offense osiah so sellers for his defensive faults he is at least the guy who can come in off the bench and give you some some scoring i i would kind of right now it's it's a lost season, let's be honest. I'd sort of live and die by Isaiah Sellers because he's a guy who can who can make shots and is exciting, and he forces it a little bit. But I think if you just kind of let him play and do his thing, you at least know he has a track record of scoring, whereas a lot of these other guys who uh, USC relied on without Isaiah Collier, without Boogie Ellis, the track record just isn't there. Uh, another positive, Boogie's back. He, he's hit those two deep threes to begin the game. Look like he might conjure up one of those performances like we saw last season when he just went off against UCLA but I think the injury of course limited him and in the second half he just wasn't himself he tried to play it cool in the post-game press conference just talked about how I'm fine I'm okay I got to play better but I I think that was just kind of him talking I I think he's limited right now by a hamstring injury and then the last thing this is a little bit mean to say but the Pac-12 tournament shotgun it's getting closer season is almost over that might be a good thing right now, the way USC's playing. <laughs> wow,
2: well, I'll go with positive. I'll try to be a little bit different with my positive. I have ozzy Sellers and Boogie being back, but I also put the ghost of Boogie being back because, you know, obviously you saw the flashes, but then when UCLA was like, all right, don't go under a ball screen, even if he's, you know, he's six feet away from the three-point line. he he just didn't have, I don't think he has the explosiveness right now to be able to create his own shot in the same way. Um, And, you know, he finishes three for 10 in the game after starting, I think three or four. So similar to Ray Marshall, someone coming back from an illness injury and we see flashes of it, but can't sustain it throughout the, the um, the full length of the game. So I I think that's definitely the illness. I mean, the, the injury there for him still played 35 minutes. So, you know, if it, If at some point you say, okay, this game's over, then maybe it's time to get him out. But I think with him being back, one of my other positives is they only had eight turnovers. Getting a ball handler back, someone who can take care of the ball, even if he's not scoring for you, you know, he can kind of play that faux point guard role with Isaiah Collier not being there and kind of set everybody else up and run the offense and not turn the ball over since that's been such a big issue for them. And those sellers, like you said, you know, he's he's a guy. If this was the NBA, you know, when you mentioned it, how maybe they should just let him run. If this is the NBA, Boogie would not play and Ozia Sellers, they would just run him out there. All right, we'll try to get a better draft pick and we'll get our young guys more experience. But this is not the NBA, and there's always that chance at the end of the season where you get hot at the right time in the Pac-12 tournament and you can, you know, make your earn your way into the the NCAA tournament. So that's why that won't necessarily happen, but maybe we'll see more opportunities for him, even when everyone gets healthy. He had 20 minutes in that game. How about on the negative side?
0: The rebounding, 43-29 to 29 advantage for UCLA, 10 nothing offensive rebound edge for UCLA at the half, which Andy Enfield was not happy about. And, and, Chuck, and what was so fascinating was Josh Morgan and Vince Wachuku get the start, two big guys. And you think, okay, USC's had some rebounding problems, but there's no way with both of these big guys, they'll get killed on the glass. And then lo and behold, they get killed on the glass. Um, The 22 to four run to end the first half, really 22 to two, like you said, not going to win too many games when when you do that. And then after the game, I asked Andy Enfield, because at the end of these halves against Arizona, they go on a little run. Arizona stayed, the Sun Devils go on a little bit of a run. And it's just sort of been a common theme. So I said, you know, how can you switch up what happens at the end of these halves, first halves? And he said, oh, I I haven't noticed that. I was like, oh, okay. He said, it's more of a whole game problem than the end of the first half problem, which is true. But to me, like in a lot of these games, they're in them in the first half and then it's like five minutes to go and it all kind of goes to hell. And they're not really in them in the second half as a result of what happens at the end of the first half. So I was looking for uh, something from him and he kind of said, oh, I, you know, he kind of told me to uh, ask something else or mind my own business. I don't know. He just didn't like that question for whatever reason. Yeah. He
2: said, he said that they've had issues at the beginning of games, the beginning <laughs> of second halves, which are all true, but it has been a consistent theme. They have faded, especially recently, uh, especially in the end of the first half, but both halves really, you know, Arizona game. I remember, you know, kind of fading in both of those halves. So we've seen it from them recently where, and that makes you go, is it the depth that's an issue? Guys are just getting worn down because they're playing more minutes. The fact that they don't have everybody to practice, you know, the fact that they don't have everybody to practice. Even last week, you know, guys like Ronnie James, we we hear that, you know, he wasn't able to practice full time because he was ill. And that's part of the reason why he didn't play as many minutes in that game. So, you know, different things like that. Uh, my negatives, the end of the half kills them again, like you mentioned. UCLA showing improvements while USC showing nothing. I think that's gotta hurt more than anything else for USC fans. Like it, it can be a terrible season, and it, it is being it is a terrible season right now, uh, especially with the expectations coming in. But when you look on across the way, and another your arrival is having a terrible season too, like you feel like all right, at least if we beat them, we got something to brag about. But they're starting to get better and USC is not. And and that's a concern for for you know USC going forward to me. And then I'm and, a third negative, throw it in the destroy it down low. You know the offensive rebounds crushed them in this game. Adem Bona just did whatever he want. He had more energy, he had more drive, more intensity than any of the USC bigs. You mentioned they had the three big lineup. It wasn't just the two big guys. They had DJ Morgan in there as the three, and you know get out rebounded. I kind of like that lineup, but uh, you know at times it could. You know that was the first time they had used it. I think all season. So to start it with the starting line, I'm like, okay, mix it up, try something different. And they came out and played pretty well that first half of the first half. So, you know, I'm surprised they didn't use it a little bit more, a little bit later. Um, we got a couple more segments. But we're going to save those for after our break, after we get Lindsey Gottlieb on. We're going to get a chance to talk to her about what's going on with Juju Watkins, what's going on with the women of Troy. So we're going to take our break now, and we'll come back to our last couple of segments before we preview what's going on this upcoming week after we chat with Lindsey Gottlieb coming up. Welcome back from the break. Make sure to check out our sponsors. Also, please like, subscribe, and review the podcast on your favorite podcast listening platform. Also, if you have any questions, comments, requests, you can always send them into podcasts at uscfootball.com. Just make sure you're putting the triple-double or the basketball pod in the headline to make sure it gets directed at us. Now we're excited to bring in this week's guest, USC women's head coach Lindsay Gottlieb. Our favorite, our favorite on the show. You know, you, you're the uh, the multiple, uh, the the most frequent guest for us. We love having you on. However, a little bit different situation than our previous two conversations, where everything was flowing really well. That's now you guys, fourteen and four, four and four in Pac-12 play. Lindsay, thanks for taking the time to join us, even though things haven't been as smooth the last couple of weeks.
1: Yeah. Well, first of all, I didn't know I was your favorite. So thank you. Let's see. I, now you're going to get fiery Lindsay today. So we'll see if the, if the viewers who don't know me that well, what what they think after I'm all, you know, riled up here. Um, but yeah, I mean, this is, this is college basketball. Um, I tell people all the time, our my, our final four year at Cal, you know, everyone talks about the final four, which is amazing, but going 17 and one in the PAC 12 is what I was most proud of that year. Cause it's a gauntlet. It's a grind. It's hard. And I mean, look, we're, we're four and four, um, Obviously three of those four losses have been to top, you know, top teams on the road, Um, but we're not where we want to be. And we're frustrated by that. And particularly, you know, coming off, you know, probably what I would consider our our worst loss of the year against UW at home, our first loss in this building. Like we're, we want to be better. And, and this is, that's my job to make sure that you know a little bit of a rough patch doesn't turn into something worse and um, doesn't get the road, doesn't get easier. We just have to get better because, you know, we're heading up to the Bay area this weekend. So yeah, I'm excited to see how our, our kids play out, but it's been a, it's, it's it's been a kind of interesting practices.
0: When you watch that Washington film back, what are some adjustments you can make as you head up to Stanford this week for a really tough game?
1: The first thing is, I think for the first time, I just, I felt like, you know, I thought our prep on Saturday was good. I really did. Um, Washington's a very unique team. I'm not taking anything away from them. They're a good team Um, and they run the Princeton offense. So it's a hard one day prep. I thought our prep on Saturday was good. I thought we understood the scout and I thought we came out like, we we didn't have to be the, the 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 team that played the hardest, or we didn't have to be the team that was the grittiest that we were wearing USC on our chest and they weren't, and we were just going to win. That's the first time I felt that way. I thought we were atrocious starting the game defensively. Um, you know, I kept telling the team it's it's a Princeton system, so the system scores, not the individuals. And then I showed them yesterday across the board their individuals took it to our chest and punked us, and we weren't we weren't ready. Um, that's on me uh, more than anybody else. And then I also didn't love. I mean, everyone's coming with the game plan now, like they really crowded the paint um they crowded um the elbows and i thought that we couldn't get first of all we couldn't get stops, so we couldn't get out and run and transition where we're best and then we didn't have the discipline to execute um and, and get the ball you know where it needed to be I, th- I think we need to be you know better in the paint i think we need to get up more threes there's a lot of learning from it but we took accountability and we'll see if we can be better
2: yeah, we we talked about a little bit earlier the fact that they had 22 turnovers, but not a lot of live ball turnovers. I mean, a lot of shot clock violations, 17 turnovers, something you don't re- really see very often. Um, and you you guys weren't able to kind of get in that rhythm. What do you have to do to kind of jumpstart the offense? You know, we knew the teams were going to hone in on, on Juju defensively, especially as the season progressed. What are you guys seeing differently maybe as conference has, has started and what's the next step to counter that?
1: Yeah, I mean, I do think going back to, you know, your point, like they – they won the game plan battle because they took their out of the ball I mean, they run 30 seconds off the shot clock, you know, whether they get a shot up or not, there's less possessions and we couldn't generate our pace. So I I do think it starts on the defensive end. Like you don't want to, it's Princeton. You want to overrun the lines and be silly and give it back door cuts. But I thought we could have heated up the ball earlier, sooner. We could have done some more things pressure wise and we've caused 22 turnovers and didn't even really pressure them, you know? Um, So there's some things obviously I always look at myself first. What could we have done to generate pace? Um, and then to talk about game plans and stuff. I, I just, I mean, I know we've talked about Juju a lot and it's, it's the fun stuff to talk about, you know uh, you know, when she's got 35 and everything's perfect. I will say what wa- against Washington state, the first half she played against Washington state was as brilliant a half of basketball as I've seen in a long time, but stuff happens. Right. And, and, and and we can't get stops, um, you know, for, for the next two halves, second half Washington state and Washington, and we have to execute and see different game plans and, It's easy to talk about her when things are perfect. I'm actually more interested in saying there's not a human being that takes more accountability and says, whether it's I have to get in the gym and and make more shots or whether it's I got to get watch the film and say, oh, you know, okay I see this now. This was the read or that was the read or me saying, hey, where can I get you the ball, you know, to make you a distributor or a scorer? Um, You know, she doesn't complain about foul calls. She doesn't complain about anything. She just says, you know, she knows the weight she carries for us and I have to be better. And so that's really impressive. But mostly I think, you know, we're not a one player team. You know, we got to get other people confident and going. We need paint points. We got to figure out a way to score even when they're clogging the paint. We got to get stuff in transition. Uh, We have to utilize, you know, uh, uh, other people. um, And and that's me putting them in multiple actions. So it's not as easy to know what's coming. And I, I think we'll all learn from it and get better for sure.
0: With Juju taking so many shots, playing so many minutes, I think it was always in her freshman year natural for the numbers to come down a little bit. She's struggling to shoot the three of these last six games. How do you balance her like wanting to be in the gym every day and grinding where maybe fatigue is a little bit of a factor and you might have to say, hey – we need you to slow down a little bit this week in practice. She's just so go, go, go. That's not really who she is. How do you coach someone who the numbers sort of bear out and maybe I'm wrong, but she looks a little fatigued and she's obviously your best player and your best offensive player, but what's that balance like between her wanting to be go, go, go. And you needing to say, Hey, maybe today take it a little bit easy.
1: Yeah, it's a great, that's a great question. And a great thing to think about, you know, um, Coaching is much more than just right. Drawing up the right play. It's like management of the whole thing. And we have an, we do have an incredible team here and we have a young woman who approaches it like a pro. And I don't, I mean, you know, she's a freshman in college and she's a student athlete and she sits in class and does her papers and all that kind of stuff. But I mean, she approaches her, you know, her, her craft like a pro and that she listens, you know, we've tried to like adjust her nutrition. Like she burns through (laughs) fuel like a Maserati, right? Like, so we're adjusting the nutrition and when is it time for rest? And when is it time for shooting? And, you know, the guys I worked with an NBA, the same thing, like their, their livelihood is on their body. So you can get your work in without burning yourself out, right? Like you can get shots, you can get mental, you can get film. Um, we've obviously, you know, tried to adjust like the practice schedule where she doesn't, you know, we're not, we're not going, you know, pedal to the metal every single day of the week. And then, asking people to you know to play um so it's a constant adjustment i'm not saying there's one formula and i have the right answer because you build confidence through reps and she's a worker but at the same time it's understanding you know when when is it a rest period and that's a that's a work in progress it is with a lot of our players right like i got to figure out i have to push the right buttons what time of year is it um but especially with her she's very unique that it's not just me it's our nutritionist our strength coach our um you know, our 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 athletic trainer. And we do like jump tests and stuff to see where the fatigue level is. But a lot of that is the Friday to Sunday too. It's a short turnaround. And so I have to be smart, you know, with that and, and getting her rest and her breaks, you know, where, where she can be as efficient as possible with her movements on the court. So work in progress, but we're definitely cognizant of that.
2: She's been fantastic all year. And the McKinsey Forbes has really stepped up, you know, in the last 10 games or so uh, to to basically be Batman or to be Robin to her Batman. But a lot of times it's been, you know, like the Washington state game, 29 points, 22 points, and then no one else with anything until no. I think Caitlin Davis had six. So, that third score—it seems like the third score is kind of the missing element a little bit to the offense at, at this point. And we saw Caleb Adia come out and you know knock down shots. So we know she's capable. We've seen Raya what she's been able to do in the past, but it seems like she's struggling a little bit with her confidence. What what is it? What's the key to to getting that third score and getting a, a little bit more balance, I guess, with with some of those other players uh, and, and yep. getting them going?
1: Yep, and maybe it's a different person all the time, right? It could be by mm-hmm. committee, but we need more scoring. Period. We need more more people scoring. I think it's a lot. It's a function of obviously we want that ball flying around and finding the open player. Um, uh, we want to be able to really pick apart, take what the defense is giving us. So some days it's it's going to be, they're giving us, you know, open shots at the arc because there's so much attention on the paint. And other days that there might be some of the philosophy of, you know, let's pressure everyone, let's guard shooters or try and turn them over. And then it might be more things to the basket, but we we definitely feel like as a group, we can do better on the offensive boards. We have a tough shooting day. That's going to happen, but we need to get to the offensive offensive boards. I think we need to push faster in transition. Even when teams make a basket, it can't only be off a miss. Um, we got to get, you know, it doesn't have to be just Raya, paint scoring, right? Like paint scoring, whether it's off of rolls and pick and roll, whether it's off of you know, post-ups, we're obviously being really conscious of that right now too. And um, it's a luxury to have two kids, you know, who we know are going to be able to make shots and score, but to get, you know, third and fourth people going uh, to get our overall point production up is definitely something that we're, that we're, that we're on top of and motivating people and trying to push the right buttons. Back
0: in December, there was that illness that went through the locker room. Some players missed some games is that still affecting the team at all? Is everyone 100%? And specifically with Raya Marshall, I know maybe she missed a game later compared to everyone else. And I don't know if that had anything to do with that same illness that um, affected the team in December. But just take me through, is everyone healthy now with that? Or is, is that still a, a problem for some people?
1: Everyone's healthy. I mean, I think, to be honest, I think the factor now is Pac-12 defenses, right? Like, it's hard. This is not a league that says, hey, you know, someone's going to score 90 and someone's going to score 95, you know um, it, it's really hard. I mean, we've played some monsters in the post, right. From bets to beers, to America, Tete, to whatever. It's a lot of, it's harder for guards to get to the rim and finish than it was in non conference. It's, there's scouting reports on everybody. People have coming with some kind of plan, right. For Juju, some kind of plan for McKenzie, but we've seen, you know, early on, there was, you know, we play, we play in a smaller lineup. We play McKenzie at the four, but now we, and so she was really picking apart four players. who didn't know she could shoot it, whatever. Well, now they're putting guards on her and our four player somewhere else, you know. And I've got to try and, we're trying to pick on weaker defenders. But I would say, you know, we're healthy, we're in good shape. I, I, There's some stat, I think 13 of the top 25 teams lost this week in women's basketball. So it happens where people start to figure each other out. Um, you know, a lot of the top, other than Stanford, you know, we have, you know, UCLA's lost a couple, Utah's lost a couple. It now becomes, okay, we've all been punched a little bit. Who responds and who figures it out and who gets something from people they weren't getting and who says, okay, we saw round one. Now now what are we going to bring to it? So I think it's more the mental aspect and then coupled with, what are we willing to do to improve as other teams are trying to as well. But physically, I think we're okay. Other than like everyone is, you know, you're tired this time of year. and um, But but we got to make a push here because we have elite goals. And to, to do that, we got to practice elite. We got to play elite. And we, we have to have consistent habits of that as well.
2: You mentioned Stanford on Friday. You're going to face the all-time winningest coach in D1 history, in, in Tara Vandermeer, actually, she recently passed uh, Dukes, Mike Krzyzewski. What's the biggest thing you've learned from your former Bay Area rival?
1: Um, I I think just the 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 respect for how hard winning is. Um, when I, I think I was at Cal when she got her nine hundredth win and I wasn't a math major, but I was like, oh my gosh, let's just think <laughs> 30 years at 30 wins a year, just on average. I didn't know which was crazier. Like this idea of doing this for 30 years, you know, or getting 30 wins a year. Like it's on average. Oh, like a 30 win season is crazy. And so now you add, you know, multiple wins to that. Um, It's really hard to win over time. And I think she's been remarkable in her ability to reinvent herself. You know, as a lot of coaches, you know, maybe got phased out with new eras of recruiting or new eras of offense or defense, like she's continued to reinvent herself. Um, I also had the luxury, you know, when you play in these pairs, right? Like whoever we're playing on Sunday, I'm watching a lot of their games, but I'm always going to watch their Friday night game against UCLA. Well, I watched. Stanford's Friday night game a gazillion times for the Sunday team. And I always could look at their game plan. They always have a game plan. You know, you always know what it is. It works better than others sometimes. But Joe's defensive game plan and um, you know, done a lot of different things on offense. So I think I've learned adaptability, um, how hard it is to be consistently good. Um, and and here she's done it again. You know, a team that wasn't picked to finish first is now in first. So we've got our hands cut out for us. And, you know, she's the best to ever do it in college basketball. And we get a chance. Uh so I, you know, wins against Stanford mean more. I can remember all of them. We've had some in my time. Um, and so it raises the bar and and we got to be ready for it.
0: With your history at Cal, how much do you look forward to this road trip every year? Is that something you think about? or Are you just so in the trenches right now with the team that it's
1: not really on your mind? I'm usually in the trenches right until we get somewhere. I'm like, okay, this is, you know, you think about the team, but then you remember where you're going and all of that. Um, Um, we didn't go there my first year here. It wasn't, you know, that was the trip that we didn't take. And so last year there was a 10 year reunion of our final four team. So it was really special to go. It was special to see, you know, the fans and the place that shaped me, uh, so much. It's always, you know, exciting and, and extra special, but really we're, we're on such a hunt here to get wins in this conference, um, to set ourselves up nationally for the NCAA tournament, that that comes first. But of course, like, you know, I'm sure I'll try and hit up, My spots in Berkeley that I remember um, try and see as many people as possible, particularly, you know, the the people that work in the arena or around there and, and, and various old friends. So it's always a little special to go back somewhere that means a lot to you.
2: Well, Lindsay, we look forward to seeing how the team plays this week as you kind of try to break through after, you know, an up and down last week. One more question for you and not necessarily related to game plans, but maybe a little bit different game plan. Uh, You know, one of the things that I've noticed is how many former Women of Troy alumni have been around the team this year? I mean, having Cheryl, uh, Cheryl Miller, the GOAT, be at courtside for multiple games this season, why was that so important for you this season? What, In in particular, what does her impact being around the, the program mean?
1: I mean, so much, right? Like in taking this job and you look at the comprehensive, like what are we aiming to do? What can we do? What is the potential? It begins with the history of this program. And the history of this program is the history of women's basketball. I mean, for context. I mean, having Cheryl Miller sit there and be part of this with us is literally like having Michael Jordan. If you were a men's program, like that's who she is. I, and not only that with kind of the the uptick that women's basketball is on now, she was like a first true star when she was here and on, you know, tonight show and all this kind of stuff. So her energy and her presence means everything to us. She's been super supportive. It's not just Cheryl, it's her teammates. They bought courtside seats. They just want to show love. They just want to be here. We We're aiming to be where they've been, um, but their support in real time and in the modern time is really important to us. I think it bridges the gap with history, but it also sets a motivation for our players and for me. And it's chills when I see her there um, along with her teammates. And and just you build a women's women's you build a winning women's basketball team with community. And our community starts with, you know, the women who came came before this group.
2: Well, Lindsay, thank you so much for taking the time. We always appreciate having you on. Like I said, you're our favorite guest for sure. Uh, So thanks so much and and good luck this week. I didn't drop any
1: F-bombs. I didn't go too crazy. So there's always something for next time. We'll keep in the bag.
2: (laughs) Well, good luck this week as you guys travel to the Bay Area Safe Travels and and good luck uh, (laughs) against uh, your former team and your former rivals.
1: Got you. Thank you so much, you guys. Good to see you Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com.
2: Thanks so much to Lindsay Gottlieb for joining us. Always a pleasure. Connor, I spoke for us. Don't necessarily want to speak for you, but I think she's our favorite guest, so I had to go ahead and say it.
0: I totally agree. Nothing against the men's coaches or the other women's coaches, but getting the head coach consistently on a show is a big deal. And it's always great to talk to Lindsay. I agree.
2: What stood out to you from what she had to say about, you know, one, the the fatigue issue and, you know, dealing with Juju, but also going up against Stanford this week uh, is always a fun matchup.
0: Yeah. I start with the fatigue stuff. Cause I feel like every week on the show, that's what I'm talking about. Excuse me. Um, just Juju looking tired and how she can break out of that. And it was interesting to hear the strategy with the nutritionists and how Juju burns through food, like a Maserati, I think was the line <laughs> from Lindsay. That was the the line of the, the interview for sure. So, I mean, of course they're aware of it and of course they're monitoring how much she plays and her usage. Like we all knew that, but it was interesting to hear exactly what that looks like and how big of a factor the nutritionists play and how Lindsay's NBA background has helped with that. I think Juju, of course, committed to USC like because of Lindsey. But I think this it was a big reason why, like, hey, I've worked with a lot of professional basketball players, especially on the men's side who are going or who, who went through what you're about to go through. And I can help you on this path. And I, I think we're seeing it.
2: Yeah. I like the way she was talking about how you, they need to get a third score, but it doesn't have to be one person, you know. And this was similar to USC's men's team when they went on the Elite Eight run. It was, Evan Mobley was going to get his double figures. Tajidi was going to get double figures. If they got a third person, they won every game, I think, except for the Gonzaga game. I think there were something like 14 and 1 that season. And the only one was the Gonzaga game that the end of the season, that was because they fell behind, you know, Super uh, in that first half by like, you know, 18 points or whatever. But I think that can be the thing. You know, it could be Drew Peterson, it could be Chavez, good when it could be a different person each game. And they could do that with Raya Marshall, with Kayla Padilla, with Caitlin Davis, you know, even, you know, someone like Taylor Bigby comes, you know, can hit three or four threes for you. Uh, so I think it can be different people, but now they just got to figure a way to get shots for everyone. Cause I think that's part of it too is when your two leading scorers are taking 70% of your shots, which has happened in a couple of games, then it's hard for anyone else to get in a rhythm and to you know even get that confidence going to 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 want to be able to shoot that shot rather than it, you know, if Juju gets going early like she did in the Washington State game, you want to feed her, right? Well, you know, if I'm open, do i do I shoot it? Do I pass it up to her? You know those type of things. So I think getting a couple more shots for for players more consistently, I think might help with that too,
0: certainly. and then the efficiency of juju and McKenzie is so important as well. I, mm-hmm. I think it's just as important as getting that third or fourth score because it's looks good 29 points, but when it's not as efficient, that doesn't really tell the whole story. And then we saw McKenzie Forbes have not uh, a very efficient game a- against Washington either. So I, I think that's a big part of it as well. And that's just basketball. You're going to have those high usage players like a Russell Westbrook who takes a lot of shots, but getting 29 points on 20 shots is a lot different than doing it on either you know even 12 or 15 shots so uh that's something that i'm sure they're monitoring that i'll be monitoring and i can't wait for the stanford game i it seems like lindsey's not very happy right now and i want to see how usc responds
2: <laughs> uh well let's move into our Juice juice section uh we got a couple sections that we normally do that we didn't do before the break but Juju Watkins, as we were just talking about, she's now averaging 25.8 points. I believe that's still second in the country. Down a point, though, she did foul out of the, the Colorado game. Uh, wish we would ask about that. Didn't think about it at the time. What did she think about that call? Um, but, uh, you know, she's averaging 6.8 rebounds, 3.5 assists, 2.5 steals, a little bit under two blocks, and 3.5 turnovers. And the big thing is the shooting percentages, 42%. Field goal percentage, 34%, three-point percentage, 82%, 83% free throw. But those percentages have changed. So that's where I'm actually going to start with my Juju. Juju, What stood out to me recently is in Juju's first nine games, she was averaging 19 field goal attempts per game. She was shooting 49% and including 47% from three. Her other numbers are pretty similar. The rebounds is almost exactly the same. Assists were up one assist. Turnovers were also up one. So turnovers and assists are each down one from the first nine nine games. The last eight games, though, it's been the percentages and it's been the attempts. She's now shooting 24 attempts per game in the last eight, so five more attempts and shooting 36%, so 13% less uh, from the field. Along with a big the big number is a three point percentage. And you mentioned it earlier about what she's done in the last six games, a little bit better in the last eight games, but eight games, she's shooting 21% from three-point range. And she was shooting forty-seven percent from three-point range the first nine games. So that's been the huge difference from her. Now, she's picked it up a little bit as far as the free throws because she's getting the line a little bit more. I think when she realizes her shots start falling, she's trying to attack a little bit more, and she's at you know shooting 92% from the free throw line, which is not surprising, uh, but it was a little bit surprising since she wasn't shooting great to begin with. But that's really stood out to me. Her true shooting percentage. Now, the formulas that go into all these, I don't know all that, but I can tell you that her true shooting percentage in the first nine games was nearly 60%. Her true shooting percentage the last eight games is 45. So 15% difference there. That one's huge. An effective field goal percentage, 56% the first nine games, and 38% the last nine so or last eight. So I think that's the huge numbers for her right now is just the shooting percentages and the effective shooting percentage, which, which weights three-pointers a little bit differently and how much you're getting the free throw line, all those th- type things as well. That's what stood out to me. And it's kind of just continued. I thought we saw a really great first half from her against Washington State and she couldn't carry it through for a full game. So that's the big question going forward. And is that fatigue? Is that something else? Is that adjustments that Washington State made? can't necessarily say, but
0: uh, yeah, getting her
2: going, getting her shooting percentages back up is the huge thing.
0: I think it starts with better competition and then fatigue would be the two variables I point at when looking at those numbers shotgun, maybe you feel differently, but that's sort of uh, how I see it. And I've talked a lot about her usage and fatigue during this segment. So I'm going to switch it up. How about that crossover she had to hit a three that sent the Washington (laughs) State player to the floor that, In this era of social media in basketball, I mean, those are the the beautiful moments that maybe you're having a bad day and you're a big USC women's basketball fan. You'll look at your phone and remember that clip and seek out that clip, and that'll make you feel a heck of a lot better. That is Juju Watkins to a T. I mean, she was not having a very good second half, and then – she's one of those players where like, if you have the opportunity for a highlight reel moment, I feel like the fatigue, everything was gone. And she switched that, like that was always going in once she put the defender on the floor and then the bench's uh, reactions were awesome. And that's like a, a moment where no matter what happens the rest of the season, hey, remember when Juju put that girl on the floor against or put that woman on the floor against Washington State? That's something like if you're a fan that you can sink your teeth into, remember that's a great moment. And I wanted to highlight that.
2: Oh, yeah, that was fantastic. You you watch the first iteration of it on the broadcast, and the announcer's like, oh, she pushed off. And then you watch the replay, and you're like, no, no, no. That was not even close to a push-off. She just decked a girl with a dribble. Uh, She just broke that girl's ankles and then swished the shot. And like you said – that's the true competitive spirit comes out. She's like, oh, this is about to be a highlight. I can't miss this one. She could have been, she could have missed the last 10 shots before that. That one was going in, no doubt. Um, but a terrific highlight there. Anything on the, uh, the other side or other part of the Juce, the Zay side? Isaiah Collier, I didn't want to mention that he was not wearing a cast or a brace of any kind when he's on the bench during the UCLA game. So I, I don't know if you noticed him at all during warm-ups, if he was doing anything. But anything stand out about Isaiah Collier this week?
0: Well, I I noticed, like you mentioned, how he he didn't have anything on the hand. I just wonder with him, a very obvious lottery pick, I think, regardless of what happens the rest of the way with his college basketball career, USC obviously not having a good year, but does he want to come back? You know what I mean? Like, what does that look like? Because the team isn't playing well, but does he want to get reps to try to improve his NBA stock? Does he just want to set it? Aside and not play anymore because he is concerned about his hand and he wants to be as healthy as possible for pre-draft stuff. What what would you do in a situation? Shotgun say it, it does take five weeks. That's right between the four to to six weeks. I think it's been what like maybe halfway since he or now it's it's Wednesday, so it maybe two or three weeks to this point. So a little over, a little bit under the halfway mark. Would you come back in two weeks if you were him? Just what do you think he's is going through his mind right now and his camp's mind? Because as we all know, these guys, it's not just individuals. If you're at this level, you, you have a whole group of people around you too.
2: All right, let me start with what I would do. Yeah. And I'm coming back. Yeah, One, it's the competitive spirit. But two, there's millions of dollars on the line. Because if you get picked 11th versus you get picked third or you get picked first, there's a huge difference in those NBA contracts, uh, you know, as you slide down the scale there. And that's just the guarantee money. Now there's more money as far as the endorsements and all that type stuff. And, but there's more endorsement money when you're a top three pick versus when you're a number 11 pick. Um, So, you know, he's still going to be a lottery pick. We, We are almost assured of that because it's not a great draft. Now we're seeing more, Europeans and more just international players pop up names wise, and oh, this guy could be a guy. I think that's partly because someone like Isaiah Carter has not really taken the mantle and said, "I'm the number one guy. You're going to pick me first. These guys are what's going to. Everyone else is going to get you know is the fodder after me." So, and I think he will do that too, is because he the competitive spirit that he has. Now, the one thing he won't be able to do is he has like a thunderclap that he does when he gets mad or when he's like when a ball, when like, when he goes in and, you know, he makes an and one basket. He has this like thunderous clap that he would do all through high school. Now, probably going to have to cut that one out because you want know, the broken hand. You don't want to be doing the thunderclap out there. Uh, but I think if it's his decision and his decision alone, he'll be out there. Now, the question is, you know, is, is that now this could easily be he's going to come back. As uh, he wait an extra week to make sure that it's healthy, those type of things that's could could happen. Um, but I, I think he definitely will come out. He's definitely not going to shut it down because his stock is not solidified. So I think he definitely has to come back and you know kind of try to solidify it more. Show that you know that when he comes back, one if he can shoot, you know that'll be a big thing. If he you know can increase the shooting percentages, but also just taking care of the ball because teams teams know that shooting is a weakness. So if he he can show that's a positive, you know, show better, that's great. But it wasn't a concern about the decision-making coming into the season, and it has become a concern. So you got to rectify that a little bit. So I think he's got to come back for that. Now, who in his corner tries to dissuade him or, you know, say, hey, just wait an extra week type of thing, you know, that could come down to matchups, that could come down to, you know, just personal preference of whoever's you know, surrounding him. You know, if the secondary doctor looks at it versus the team doctor, all those type of things can play into it. But when it comes down to him, he will be back out there. He is that competitor. He is that guy that is – he's pissed at how the season is going. Yeah, I can, you can tell You know, when, when games are going, when it's not going U.S.'s way, how he reacts to certain things. He's got that competitive fire, so
0: I'm pretty sure he'll be back out there as soon as possible. I hope so, because if USC can get any sort of momentum going towards this Pac-12 tournament, their their lifeline at this point, they're going to need him. You can't yeah. win the Pac-12 tournament, obviously, without him. Even with him, it's looking unlikely right now. But you certainly need the number one recruit in the country if, if you're going to push for it. So I agree with you. I hope he does come back. Hope he shoots it well. Hope he gets picked first overall, because that would be – Good for him, obviously, and USC. So we'll see what happens. But uh, I think there's always a lot more that goes into it right now, which is, which is too bad, and we got to talk about that too, like you hit on. And,
2: and we'll see. You know, honestly, what he should have been doing this entire time is if your hands in a brace, your hands in a cast, or whatever, and you know, it was a shooting hand, so he's not able to shoot. he can't get up shots unless he's trying. You know, shoot some Kobe, Kobe Bryant. You know, left-handed shots and stuff uh, in practice he should be out working on defensive drills the entire time. You don't need your hand to play defense. You know, you can work on slides. You can work on everything else. You know, you can even practice. Put that – wrap that thing up with a giant, you know, linebacker club if you have to. But go out and move your feet and show that you can do that because that's a part of the game, his game, that is being questioned as well. So that's something I would be focusing on if I was him during this time where he's not able to get up shots, where he's not able to play offense, is, hey, let me work on my defense in some way. Let me train to uh, better my defense so that when I come back, I can show something else when I do get back on the court. But we'll see. We'll see what, what he does and how quickly he comes back. With him out, we've seen more of Bronny James. So let's move to our Stuntin' Like My Daddy uh, portion of the show. But we did not see Brian James in the starting lineup for the first time uh, in, a, in a few games uh, against UCLA with Boogie Ellis coming back and with USC going with the three-forward lineup for the first time. So no, not in the starting lineup. He did miss some time during the week, Andy Infield said with some illness, so he didn't practice full time. So, what stood out to you this week about Bronny James? And you know, I know there's a story every game, and one of the headlines uh that I saw was like Bronny James fans make fun of Bronny James because of horror stat line against UCLA.
0: <laughs> I think you got to talk about the technical. That was really the only marquee moment for him in this <laughs> one where he swats. I think it was Dylan Andrews. And yells the classic give me that S word, like a lot of basketball players do. That,
2: that S word is shit. Give me that shit uh,
0: Okay, yep. Good, good. Glad we're <laughs> allowed to swear here. I'll keep that in mind in the future. Um uh, and I, you know, that was one of the those that could have gone either way, but like from my vantage point, it was it was similar to what happened in that Ravens game where the receiver makes the catch and then he towed the line of taunting, but he took it a little bit too far. I think, Bronny, the fact that he was just so close to Dylan Andrews, he didn't really direct what he was saying at him. Um, but the fact that he was sort of right there and yelled, I I understand the tech. Like, it could have gone either way. I'm not upset one way or the other about it. Uh, and then we didn't really see much of him after that. So that was a great defensive play, but hopefully learned a lesson about uh, celebrating. Outside of that, Chuck, not really much else happened with him in this one.
2: Yeah, you know, he yells that a dembona yelled it about three more times in the game. Uh so it's so something how you do it. literally you will hear almost every single basketball. You you hear it in the women's game too. You know, I have heard I've heard Ray Marshall yell it a couple of times at players, and players yell at it try to yell at a juju and she gets blocked. So it is a common phrase. I, I will yell it in a pickup game if I swatch your stuff, you know, whatever it doesn't matter. But it was that it was directed. Poor's Dylan Andrews. That's why he probably got it. And Adem Bona, even though you could hear it on the broadcast multiple times, did not get it. Learning lesson, sure. Um, I, I think the thing that was most notable, you know, his, his stat line wasn't great in the game. That, you know, he ends up with two points on 0 of 3 shooting, 0 of 1 from three point range, four rebounds two turnovers, one block. Um, I think the big thing though, was the first half he played, like you said, he didn't play much. He only played seven minutes, but USC was negative 17 when he's in the game. So, you know, in seven minutes, that's a huge turn. Now that's not all on him. That was the point where Devin Williams comes off the bench, hasn't scored since November and scores against USC, you know, scores four points and has a block, you know, a guy that USC kind of stopped recruiting late in his recruitment and he chooses UCLA. Um, and then also, uh, is it Mara? A Demara? uh Maray, I can't remember how exactly how it's pronounced. But the big man for for UCLA, the seven footer that came over, and everybody was super hyped about. Hey, he could be an NBA draft guy, one and done, and has not even played much. He comes in and scores against USC. So everyone was kind of scoring at this point. So Bronny wasn't able to contribute much in the game, and that stretch really killed USC. That was part of the twenty-two to twenty-two, twenty-two to two run, and you know he was in for part of that. So that kind of stood out to me probably more than anything, and then the second half just didn't see him really do anything, you know. And I think that's the product of him being a freshman, him still being not at you know not at four months in a row of practicing and playing at all times, is that he'll disappear at points, and when USC needs a bucket, it's not like they're going to go to him; they're going to go to Boogie. They're going to... now, Andy said after the game that. He ran some sets for Boogie, ran sets for Oziah, ran sets for for Bronny. He threw threw Bronny's name in there. And, you know, no one was really making shots outside of Hosea. So didn't really matter. But uh that that's the only thing that really st- caught my eye was after the technical foul is just you know the fact that the plus minus wa- was pretty uh pretty one sided there.
0: The whole second half for USC was lifeless too. So like <laughs> true. Y- you know what I mean? That there just wasn't much you could sink your your teeth into with that one, but yeah, it's. It, I mean, he was on the floor for a lot of that run, uh, not a lot, but some of that run in that uh, first half. And you mentioned a Mara. I, I was, I got asked to fill out like a ballot for twenty four seven order of finish for the Pac twelve teams, all Pac twelve selections. Some of them I look really smart. Some of them I look really stupid. And my dumbest one, I had no idea who the player of the year was going to be. And shotgun, I'm saying it on this podcast because sometimes you just got to own your mistakes. I picked Mara to be the player of the year.
2: Wow. <laughs>
0: and then he can't even get on the floor.
2: <laughs> wow. Well, I don't I don't think I would have admitted that one, Connor. I'll be honest. <laughs> it's
0: okay. I, 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 did, I, I If you look at my, my freshman of the year, I picked Jackson Shelstead, who that looks good right now. Um, so like I had some wins. I picked Arizona to win. I know that's an easy one. My other... Five like top guys, the the players of the year or the the team of the year. I I feel really good about, but yeah, that was like a big swing and a miss. I just had no idea who like the there was no for me obvious like okay this is the guy. I know Bona, Nafali, Dante, Caleb Love might be the guy right now, but I I thought he was a little bit inconsistent. That uh, North Carolina, I did have him in, is in my uh, team of the year, but yeah, I I went wild card said I think UCLA is going to be okay. That was a mistake, and I thought a Mar was going to be really good. I read an article that really, you know, sucked me into making that pick. So bad, bad mistake.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Off the top of my head, I probably would have went with, uh, you know, Isaiah Collier for freshman of the year and maybe even Boogie Ellis for, for Pac-12 player of the year, you know, coming into the season, high expectations for USC. Um, You could even, you definitely would have, I definitely would have had Kobe Johnson as the defensive player. If I didn't, Infante Dolly would probably be the other guy um uh, that i would have considered for that maybe i would have gone umar balo as you know as my player of the year just because he scores so much uh, you know the free throws is always concerned there but I, I don't know who i would have picked there i definitely would have had some usc players on there and it has not worked out so my picks would not have been good either however they wouldn't have been that bad
0: <laughs> that was just one out of like i i think i did okay outside of that i can email you my picks but that's the one every time i watch ucla and the guy can't even get in the game i'm like oh my god
2: Let's look forward. Where does USC stand right now? Let's look at the women. Where are they at in the rankings? Where are they at? The net rankings and the Pac-12 rankings.
0: Number 14 in the AP number. Actually, are they number 15 in the AP? That, I might have had a typo there. 14 or 15. Live radio, <laughs> folks. Got to love it. But in the net, I know they're 18th for sure. We'll have shotgun check on uh, the, the AP. I, I have 14 here, but in my head, I thought it was 15. Anyway, they're 4-4 four and four in the Pac-12, tied for 6 with Washington State. And then a lot of the same stuff we see with the statistics. They don't turn the ball over a lot. 27th nationally in assisted turnover ratio. 12th fewest turnovers in the country, averaging 12.4. Bench points, not very good there, 326. They've sort of fallen back a little bit as Pac-12 play has started with opponents' field goal percentage and just their field goal percentage. Offense and defense has sort of fallen off a little bit, but that is expected when you don't play Cal State Fullerton or Long Beach State. It's better competition. Yeah, they're Where 15th. Are they they okay, are 15th, 15th well, uh, which is which is,
2: actually, <laughs> which is actually the lowest they've been since the, the preseason poll. Because remember the preseason, they were ranked 21, both men and the women. They've gone in two different directions. Um, but the women jumped into – I think it was – did they jump into the top 10 immediately? I can't remember if, it, if they jumped to nine immediately or if it was uh, – you know, if they were like 11 and then slid up. Got all the way up to sixth in the, the – uh, AP poll, the media poll, and up to five in the coaches poll. Could not break into the top five of the media poll. And we'll have to go on a run for that to happen. We'll see how they respond when they go to Stanford. Because that there's always chances in the Pac-12, or at least this year. There's there's chances almost every week to definitely enhance your resume, enhance your opportunities to one host. Remember the NCAA tournament? The NCAA tournament for women, you host the for opening weekend. the The top, I believe it's the top, is it top two or top four seeds in each bracket will host uh, a, a quartet of teams, um, and so that is huge for USC is to get into that mix so they can be at the Galen Center and have everyone coming out rather than being on the road. Last year they were in, in Virginia Tech, I believe it was. Uh, I thought about going down if they would have won that first. The first game is about six and a half hour drive, uh, but they fell to. Dakota State. I can't remember which Dakota State it was, North Dakota or South Dakota. I think it was the Jackrabbits. I think it was South Dakota State, Uh, but fell there. And so playing at home is much easier than playing all the way across the country. So big, big area where they need to start, you know, trying to make some strides to help themselves out as the, you know, when they get to March. The men, on the other hand, that net just keeps sliding.
0: Down to 100th, triple digits in the net.
2: Not, but not as bad as where they are currently in the Pac-12 standings.
0: You're right, because they're not dead last in the net, and they're dead last <laughs> in the Pac-12 at two and seven. And that, that to me, out of all the bad statistics, shotgun, that to me is the most surprising one. Even with the issues that they've had, you'd think that just with the inconsistencies in the league, like two and seven, last place in the Pac-12, ugh, it just looks worse every time I see it. I mean, the league, I I think obviously the top end talent isn't great, but I do think in a weird way, it's deeper than it was last year. Like there's no God awful Cal, like last season Cal's actually okay. And some of these teams who traditionally have just been terrible, but usually USC would still lose to Oregon state on the road. And they're one of those traditionally bad teams. (laughs) Uh, And that didn't change, but you know what I mean? Like, I feel like Oregon state maybe is a little bit better than People expected Cal's definitely a little bit better. Stanford about as expected. Washington up and down, but maybe a little bit um, better than people expected. They beat Gonzaga earlier in the year, and now USC to be last with all those teams in the league is is a surprise. Statistics more of the same: three hundred eleventh and three point percentage defense, giving up just under or just yeah just under thirty six percent per game from downtown. Two hundred twenty third in rebound margin. Two hundred fifty first in scoring defense, averaging seventy four point seven points per game. And 298th in turnovers per game, at 13.6. So defense isn't great, rebounding isn't great, and they can't control the ball on offense. Uh, It's a recipe for disaster, and uh, that's why you're two and seven in the Pac-12. I
2: I thought Andy Infield had a great point um, after the game, uh, talking about how their field goal percentage is just not as been as good. Now, part of it is they haven't played great defense at times. Yeah, like there's there's certain games where. They're just getting blown by all the time. They had to be, play better man-to-man defense. But he also pointed out they've had so many live ball turnovers. They're leading to just fast break opportunities and wide open three pointers on fast breaks. Those are a lot easier to make than, you know, 20 seconds into the shot clock or 25 seconds into the shot clock with someone, you know, jumping out at you. So, you know, those shots are going to be easier to make the, the, percentage is going to rise when you give up so many fast break opportunities which usc has because of their turnovers not having you know ball handlers so if they get isaiah Collier back and now a boogie back does that get better that'll be a question because they're playing a little bit better defense at least their half-court defense has been better their zone has been they haven't rebounded great out of it but you know their zone has been better as far as just Getting out to shooters and creating tougher shots than they were earlier in the season, where teams were getting whatever the hell they wanted. Um, But I I think you make a great point about the conference, the length of—I don't know the right way to say this—but the the strength of each team has shrunk from the top to the bottom. You know, last year, you know, or two years ago, the Arizona team that was a top five team, I think it was two years ago. You know, that's was way up there. And you talk about the Oregon States or the cows that were just you know, some of the worst power five teams in the nation. That's not the case anymore. So it's still very disappointing to see USC is at the bottom, but that is part of the reason why, because the, you know, the, the the top isn't as high as it was and the bottom, the floor has risen and the, and the ceiling has come down a little bit. So the, the league itself has shrunk together a little bit more, which also means to me, because, I mean, we look at it and the team, two teams that are leading the standings right now are six and three. So it's not like they're, 9 and 0 or 8 and 1 the women's you know stanford is 8 and 1 and so usc will go face them this week we'll talk about that in just a second but if usc can find some rhythm a couple of wins moves you back up the rankings really quickly we talked about it last week you know that's why the ucla game was a big one you know they'd be at 3 and 6 right now so it wouldn't be in last place they'd be tied for last i think but um or US- ucla would be tied with them as well so there'd be multiple teams tied at the bottom but if you win a couple of games, you can climb the rankings because there's not that huge separation from top to bottom like there has been in the past. We'll see, though. The men will start on Thursday. They will take on Oregon. That is at home at the Galen Center. Always a big matchup against Oregon. These, these two schools, these two fan bases don't really like each other. Coaching staffs are okay with each other. It's not like it's a Tad Boyle versus Andy Enfield. But uh, you know, there's definitely there's some mutual respect there between Andy Enfield and Dana Altman, but they go at it every game. And a lot of times these games can be blowouts because it's one team has a much better game strategy or starts out real hot. For whatever reason, these games have had like 20-0 runs at the beginning of them often. And then every once in a while there's that buzzer beater that takes place like Drew Peterson knocking him off a, a couple of years ago up in Eugene uh, that was really fun to see you know, him waving to the crowd and whatnot but that'll be Thursday 7:30 p.m. on ESPN2. The Ducks are 14-6. They're tied for first place with with uh, Arizona. They've had a number of injuries throughout this season and they're getting healthier. And and Foladonte, uh, you know, did play against USC earlier. He's averaging 14 points, 8.8 rebounds. He's come back recently. Um I don't think Nate Biddle has come back yet. they are other big but they're starting to get a little bit healthier, and they played through those injuries and still been able to find ways to
0: win. Something
2: USC hasn't done. What what stands out to you about the Ducks?
0: It's Nafali Dante because USC has just struggled defending big men and grabbing rebounds on on the other end. Whether it's a Dembona, the Washington State big guy killed USC. It's just not good, and now Nafali Dante is back in, that gives Oregon a big edge. So I, I I start with him. One thing that'll give USC fans some hope is that Arizona went into Eugene and kicked the crap out of uh, Oregon over the weekend. And they had most of their guys. I don't know if you saw some of the articles or some stuff on Twitter shotgun, but I guess the atmosphere and just like the game presentation in Oregon for men's basketball has been taking some heat. And I guess for whatever reason, it was not really good against Arizona. And a lot of reporters wrote about it and called it out and, Whenever USC plays them, I feel like what I get on TV, it seems like the crowd's into it and it, it, it's a good atmosphere. But I guess on Saturday it wasn't and Arizona beat him. So USC, they're playing at home and that doesn't matter because they already lost to him on the road. So just wanted to bring that up. I thought that was interesting. Uh, but yeah, I, I look at Nefali Dante. If you, if you can't slow him down, probably not going to come out on the winning end.
2: Yeah, he they didn't have him last time, and they were up by like what, 16, 17, at halftime against USC. So they got to start out much better than they did in that game. Um, the the only thing I I didn't see the article you were referencing or the reporters. I just always see people complaining about the court. Yeah. Which, how do you feel about the the woods paint job that they have? You know, you're going into the woods up there.
0: Worst court in America.
2: I love it. I love it. <laughs> it's unique. It it means something. I love it. Uh, but yeah, it's definitely different. Uh, you know, it's like the neon green random, you know, FIBA court that you, you see. Like, you either will go one way or the other. You love it or you hate it, and there's always people bitching about that. That's what I always see the most. Then USC men's will play on Saturday, so a little bit quicker turnaround. Thursday late night, and then Saturday at four p.m. Uh, they'll take on Oregon State. The Beavers are eleven and nine. They are three and six, so they're right above USC. So here's an opportunity to get out of last place if you can get a win against Oregon State. Uh, depending on their outcomes with UCLA as well. But Jordan Pope has been going off recently. I think he was. I, I voted for him uh, and believe he was the Pac-12 Player of the Week this past week because he had the game-winning shot against Arizona to help beat them. Oregon State's coming off a you know a big weekend where they beat. You know Arizona State was close, and they pulled away, and that one late, and then they beat Arizona on a buzzer beater, or at least the last couple seconds by Jordan Pope. Uh, he went off for thirty something points in that game, thirty five, I want to say. He's averaged seventeen point eight. Tyler Billado as is, is at thirteen and a half as well. USC played this team and didn't. Well, did they play this team? Like I, I feel like a game happened, but I don't know if USC actually played the first time they they matched up with each other.
0: You're right. That was an ugly, ugly game. Probably the worst or the second worst of the year, depending on how you look at uh, the UCLA game from Saturday. But oh, that one was, was brutal. And to me, shotgun, This game comes down to no matter what happens against Oregon, this Oregon State game comes down to playing for pride because they, let's face it, they embarrassed USC with a full lineup in Corvallis this last time they played him. I think it was at the end of December. And so, Oregon State, they're hot right now, coming off of two wins over the Arizona schools. That just goes to show the Pac 12. Anyone can really beat anyone right now. Not great on the year 11 and 9, 3 and 6 in the Pac 12. I wrote 3 and 16 in the notes. And that's wrong. So, a very, very interesting matchup for me because everything has gone so wrong for USC. But can you play for some pride and beat an Oregon State team that kind of embarrassed you the last time you faced up against them?
2: Let's move over to the team that we're more interested in this week is the women of Troy. How did they bounce back from a loss to Washington? As Lindsay Gottlieb said, they had three losses. They were all on the road against ranked teams. That's one thing. Not happy about it, but she was, she was fiery this week. And she even told us that she was going to be fiery on the show uh, because she was not happy with the way her team played against Washington. How do they bounce back uh, this week going to Stanford 7 p.m., another game on the Pac-12 network. Stanford, 19-2, is out outperforming the predictions, the expectations coming into this season, where they were anticipated to be one of the top teams, but not necessarily the top team in the Pac-12. They are currently the highest-ranked Pac-12 team, have moved in the top five for the first time this season, 19-2 overall, 8-1. As we said, Tara Vander, uh, Vanderveer has... Surpassed Mike Szefsky for number one overall for most wins. So, congratulations to her. She's fantastic. I don't know if you've ever got a chance to talk with her. She is, is, is amazing um, in press conferences and everything else. She's so insightful and thoughtful with everything she does and has been doing it for so long, uh, as Lindsey Gottlieb mentioned. But they got all American players there. They got a, you know, Cameron Brink inside is a beast. She's averaging 17 and a half and 11 and a half rebounds. Uh, she can do it on both ends. She, I think last year against USC, she had like six or seven or eight blocks against USC. She's going to be a, a force for them, um, but she's not the only one. So what stands out about the Cardinal to you?
0: Yeah, the rebounding is is huge. They're solid on offense, tremendous rebounding team, and a great free throw shooting team too. They're in the top 10 nationally in, in free throw percentage. But yeah, Cameron Brink and Kiki are the are the two top players. They're both forwards both average double doubles. So for USC, I'm really fascinated to see they had arguably their worst game of the PAC 12 season so far against Washington. And now you play the best team on the road. What kind of team are you? Are you a team that bounces back and isn't afraid of the moment? And even if you lose against Stanford, do you push Stanford? Do you lose a close game or do you even win a game? And that would really show me a lot of course, because I think right now, their peaks and valleys as a lot of coaches I've had in the past uh, said to me right now, USC is in a bit of a Valley. They have an awesome opportunity to get back against a good Stanford team. And I, I just think this game is going to tell us uh, or give us a little bit of insight into how the rest of the season goes, because if you come back and you push Stanford after not playing really well, that would really impress me. That would show me something. I think it's a tough spot for them because they do look tired. They they're in a funk on offense I think a lot's going against them right now. So in my head, I think, okay, maybe this is a tough game for USC, but can they rise to the occasion, show me something, and compete with a really good Stanford team? That would impress me, and that would tell me that they have real NCAA tournament chops in the sense that they could go on a run.
2: Great point. And uh, best time to break out is when you're playing a really good opponent. Uh, The best thing for USC going in this game is that Stanford didn't lose the last game. Yep. Because the two times Stanford has lost a game – they've come out and obliterated <laughs> opponents they lost to gonzaga in december the next four games they won by 30 40 27 and 60 points 60 morgan state morgan state the bears uh and then they lost they lost at colorado uh, good game by colorado the, the two times they've lost though they've lost by double digits so interesting there but then the the, the four games they they played since that colorado loss they beat Oregon by 25 points. They beat Oregon state uh, by nine. They beat Arizona state by 30 last week. And then they beat Arizona thought they could, you know, potentially make a run in the pack 12 and, and do some damage. They beat them by 32. So, you know, That's the four game spread. Now they get USC. Now USC can you know potentially hand them another loss, and then whoever got them the next four games should watch out. But uh, you know we'll see how USC does in that. Then USC will travel on Sunday. Uh, They'll travel across the bay to play Lindsey Gottlieb's former team, the Cal Golden Bears. Uh, She'll she'll get up there and get some familiar foods and and whatnot. I'm sure you get to meet with everyone that uh, in the area still loves her and whatnot. The Golden Bears are 13-8 on the season, three and six in conference. They're one of the bottom tier teams. They've lost five of the last six, um, or had lost five or six. They they have beaten Washington, Washington State. USC did lose to Washington and didn't play great against Washington State. So we'll see what they do. But they're a team that USC needs to drive and kick because Cal shoots it gives up our 308th in the nation in three-point percentage defense. So they will give you open shots, knock them down. So drive and kick and make some, make some buckets here and then kind of pull away. Uh, that would be my recipe for success. What's the big thing for, for you against Cal for the women at Troy?
0: Based on what you said, this Cal game looks like a Kayla Padilla special for me. I think she'll be able to knock down some shots. And she has had the, the hot hand recently. And I don't know what will happen against Stanford because they're so good on defense. But Cal a little bit of a different team. And I think if you're a great three-point shooter, like is proven, she should have a breakout game. Mackenzie Forbes, as well, has been up and down, but she was four of eight against Washington State from deep. So I, I think she's another player who can hurt you. Juju, can she snap out of her funk from long range? Cal's probably the team to do it. You got to go one-on-one on the road trip, Shuckin at worst. That's my big takeaway. If Stanford doesn't go your way, then so be it one of the best teams in the country greatest coach of all time it's a tough ask but then what do we say last week you got to beat both washington schools usc went one and one you gotta go one and one this weekend at cal on the road nothing's easy on the road usc hasn't done fantastic on the road in conference of course no excuses for me you, you, you got to take care of cal
2: yeah and this the the age old saying is you win both you sweep it home and split on the road so if usc can do that uh you, you know you would see it as an okay week, you'd much rather win both games. Uh, so, But it, it, the biggest thing for that Stanford game, even if they lose, if they lose like they lost against Colorado, you know, it's a tight game and you lose late on the road. Okay, that's one thing. Yep. If you get blown out like you did against Utah, that's much different, especially with the way they've been playing. But, you know, they're 4-4 they're four and four in Pac-12 play right now. There's six teams that are ranked. USC's at the bottom of them. So if you want to make some moves and start climbing back up because – if you want to get to the Pac-12 tournament and win the tournament, you got to get in the top four, get one of those buys. You don't want to be five or six and have to play that first game, just the extra wear and tear on your legs and stuff. Um, you know, so I think that's big for USC to start making some moves. They got to start winning some games on the road against these ranked opponents. You can't just hope that you can, uh, you know, win your games at home and you know lose against the ranked teams on the road. You're not going to climb the rankings that way. So, big opportunity is what this is. Opportunity to go on the road.
0: That's how I see it too. And in women's basketball in the Pac 12, you're getting opportunities every week in USC. They haven't quite taken them these last few weeks, one and three in their last four. Can they snap out of it? That's the big question. That's what we've been asking all episode.
2: And if they do that, they have an opportunity to potentially put something together because the Arizona schools will come to USC next. The Arizona schools have not been probably the easiest coupling. Or if not the Washington schools, which they just lost one of those, but uh, of the the duos, the travel partners, I would say the Arizona schools are probably the easiest one off the top of my head. Uh, so if they can take care, you know, get a win at Stanford, then that gives them opportunity to get some momentum rolling as they as they go for that, and then they would travel to the Oregon schools after that. So uh, some some winnable games coming up especially if you can start with a big momentum builder in, in the Stanford game. But that's going to wrap it up for this episode of the USC Triple Double Podcast, part of the Peristyle Podcast family. If you guys can, please help us out. Like, share, subscribe, leave us a review on the, your favorite podcast listening platform, whichever one it is. We, we'll take the reviews on any of them. Also, we also always welcome your feedback, your comments, your questions at podcast.uscfootball.com. At Connor, any final thoughts from you?
0: My final thought is I got to head in the car and do another show with Ryan nonstop podcast today.
2: Get excited, folks. Get excited. That's going to be a good one as well. They got a lot to talk about on the football side, but that's going to be it for us. I'm your host, Shotgun Spratling, saying thank you to USC women's head coach, Lindsey Gottlieb, for joining us for this episode. Thank you for everyone out there for listening. And thank you to my co-host, Connor Morissette. Hopefully you all will join us for the next episode of the USC triple double podcast. Peace.